I'm speaking to you today concerning the end of the world according to the Bible. There are so many different versions of how the world might end according to television. But according to the Bible, this is what we know about the end of this present world. One thing has to happen before Jesus can come. And it's already happened, in fact. It sets the stage for the return of Jesus. Before Jesus comes for us, apostasy has to come in to the churches. We've been seeing apostasy come in to the churches for decades. Actually, it started 2,000 years ago. For the Apostle Paul and Peter both spoke of this subject, or John spoke of this subject. John told us that there were already many Antichrists in the church in his day. That is recorded for us in 1 John chapter 2. We'll look at it first. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul was speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. We see it was at Ephesus by Acts 20 verse 17. And Paul began to tell them that he knew he would never see them again, that they would never see his face again. Paul knew this was his last time to speak directly to the church at Ephesus. And in verse 25, Paul says, And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am purer from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Acts 20.29, Paul says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse 
things to draw away disciples after them. As long as Paul was among them, he would not allow these perverse things to come into the church. But he knew there were men sitting there just waiting to bring in their doctrines, which were not the doctrines of Christ, and set up their own church groups. And that is exactly what we have seen. As soon as Paul was dead, they were free from Paul to set up their own churches so we have all of these denominations set up by the wisdom of men, by their own thinking, to draw away disciples to themselves. And their doctrines were perverse. They were not the doctrines of Christ. They were another doctrine. That is Antichrist in the church. It actually started with the death of Paul. But it grew mightily through the past 2,000 years. There were some times right at the beginning that these church groups would actually speak the doctrine of Christ. But they changed the doctrine. There was a point in time the Catholics taught The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Even as late as the 70s, I think they were teaching that, but then they started making loopholes around that doctrine and removed that doctrine as far as I know. I know that doctrine was taught in the Church of Christ when I was a child and would visit with my aunt That doctrine must have been taught in the Baptist church because I know this woman who was raised Baptist, divorced and wanted to remarry, and she and her fiancé went to a pastor to see if they could remarry after divorce. And the pastor said to her, Well, my sister's divorced. Sure, you can remarry. Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Jesus spoke the doctrine of Christ concerning the subject of women remarrying and men marrying divorced women and men divorcing faithful wives. That one scripture spoken by Jesus declares the whole doctrine for the New Testament church on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Let's look at it for a moment. Matthew chapter 5 verse 32. Jesus is speaking to the Jewish men. And actually in verse 31 he says to them, It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Jesus said, I'm going to take this a step farther. 
if you divorce a faithful wife and she remarries, she commits adultery, but you will be the cause of the faithful wife committing the adultery. And whosoever marries that faithful wife will commit adultery. Another passage of scripture which you always have to look at when you compare divorce and remarriage is 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 10 and 11. Paul says this is a commandment of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 10 11. Paul says, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. The doctrines of Christ were there in the Bible for us and are in the Bible for us today, but they were there from the time Paul wrote these letters to the church. He put the doctrines of Christ into black and white in the form of the New Testament. We have them today to go by, to know the doctrines of Christ, to know what our churches are, should be teaching, to know when something is wrong that's being taught in our churches. The, the, the Bible for us as Christians is similar to a rule book of golf for a golfer. When a person learns to play golf, they learn the rules of the game as set forth by the Golf Association. We as Christians should learn the rules of the doctrine of Christ as set by the Holy Bible. But what most Christians do is attend their churches and take for granted that their churches are going to be teaching the truth. So they go to the Catholic Church and the Baptist Church and the Church of Christ and non-denominational churches and all types of doctrines are taught in these different churches. How do you know that the doctrine that's being taught in your church is truth? It is your responsibility to find out by going to the Bible. If you want to know the truth of the doctrine, prove it by the Bible, and through prayer. Certainly we ask God to reveal the truth to us, and then we read the Bible on the subject. If you want to know about divorce and remarriage, you don't go to a pastor and ask him. If you went to ten pastors today in your neighborhood and asked them if a man can marry a divorced woman, I would suspect that most, if not all, of those pastors would say yes. When the Bible says it is adultery if the man marries a divorced woman. So if you want to know the truth, 
pray and ask God to open your eyes to the truth. Allow the Holy Spirit to take you to each of the scriptures on the subject of divorce and remarriage and establish your doctrine by the New Testament Bible. That is the only way that it is safe. At the judgment seat of Christ, each one of us will be judged by the Word of God, the Bible. We're not going to be judged by the doctrine taught by your church. God's not going to say, oh, you learned this in the Presbyterian church. Oh, well, then you're excused. He's going to say, this is what the word of God says on the subject, and this is what you did. Paul said there is a terror of the Lord, and because of the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Let's look for just a moment at what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 Paul says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. God is not like some type of kindly grandfather. God is not like Santa Claus. God is going to bring justice at the judgment seat of Christ, and that justice will be according to that which is written in the Holy Bible. So you better prove all things by the Holy Bible, and especially by the New Testament Bible. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul tells us, Jesus cannot return for the church until the apostasy comes into the church. In the NSB translation, it uses the word apostasy. In the King James Version, it uses the term falling away. The thing that was going to happen is churches were going to fall away from the Bible. They were going to fall away from portions of Scripture. And the NASB translation shows just exactly that. The apostasy would come into the churches before Jesus returns to gather the church to himself, the remaining church, the ones that haven't fallen away. If you look at the NASB on this verse, 2 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 3, it says, Let no one in any way deceive you. For the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy 
comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. In the King James Version, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. Years ago, God opened my eyes to see what that meant. The falling away. This was not church members leaving the church. This was the church leaving the scriptures and setting up another doctrine inside the church. They took out certain scriptures that were unpopular, such as the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That would be a very unpopular doctrine. I've never heard it spoken at any church I have attended since I've been born again. It would be unpopular to say that. So they just removed it. Or they just don't speak about it. And they allow divorced men to marry divorced women inside the church group. You've probably attended wedding ceremonies at your church where divorced men, where men have married divorced women. They used to teach this in the church. I had a a very good friend who was a concert pianist, and as a young woman, she had a Fulbright scholarship and studied in uh, Italy. She met a Catholic man there and wanted to marry him. She had been Baptist. In order to marry him, she had to become Catholic. So she went to this place where they teach you how to become a Catholic And she became a Catholic and married this man. They returned to the United States to live, and he divorced her. Years later, she wanted to remarry, and she set out to remarry. She was attending a little non-denominational Bible church in Dallas. And she met this man and married him. His wife had died of cancer. He had three children by his first wife, and he was certainly qualified to marry again. Donna was divorced, but she didn't tell anyone at the church that she was divorced because at that time the doctrine was taught at that church, the the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. She and Hal divorced, uh, uh, married. And later I asked Hal about this. When I found out Donna had been divorced, uh, I I asked Hal. I said, Hal, he was dating two women at the time, or considering two women. One was Donna, the little, she was short and had dark hair, and the other was a tall woman. And I said to him, Would you have dated Donna if you had known she had been divorced? He thought about it and he said, no, I don't think I would. 
but she kept it a secret, and by the time they started dating, he fell in love with her and married her. So I know the doctrine was taught at one time in that church group. But the churches have changed the doctrine. That is Antichrist. That's the apostasy. That is the falling away that had to happen before Jesus could return. Now let's look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. See, the man of sin was going to be revealed by the falling away, because those who would not depart from the scriptures would leave those churches. They would have to, because the churches were going to change the scripture, which allowed the apostasy to be in the church, the thing that restrained Antichrist from the church were the scriptures. That's the only thing that held Antichrist back. So the son of perdition is revealed. And by the way, there's not just one Antichrist. There are many Antichrists. Please look at that scripture in 1 John chapter 2, where the Apostle John said there were already many Antichrists. Antichrist is not one person, as they have taught in the churches for decades. When I started going to church, when I was born again in 1975, I first went to a non-denominational church, then I went to a Baptist church, then I went to Word of Faith, and at Word of Faith, the women were talking about Antichrist. Who is Antichrist? It's the first time I'd ever heard of Antichrist. And one woman said, we think it's Henry Kissinger. I have no idea why she thought that. But they thought Antichrist would come through the governments of men. When the Bible clearly tells us Antichrist comes through the temple of God, through the church. And John, the Apostle John, said there were already many Antichrists. And Paul said after his departing, he knew there were even men sitting there listening to him speak who were going to rise up and speak perverse things and change the doctrine. Those are Antichrist. That is Antichrist, opposite to Christ, who is the Word. Antichrist means opposite to the Word. This has been going on since the crucifixion of Jesus. Since the first church was ever established. Since the early churches were meeting in homes. And certainly since all these denominations of Catholic and Protestants were set up. Says that this son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So that's Antichrist. It's 
everywhere today. It's everywhere. Churches who have changed doctrine away from the Bible in order to approve worldly men who are sinners and don't want to give up their sin. That is Antichrist. A woman from our church group had a son who was late 40s at that time. He came to visit her and she showed him some scriptures. And he said to her, Oh, mother, that's so legalistic. She told me what he said and I was so grieved. I said, Oh, God, this troubles me so much what that young man said about the Bible being so legalistic. A few days after I said that to God, the Holy Spirit reminded me of these scriptures in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And I realized what God was saying is this. The world wants freedom to sin. They want you to approve them in their sin. They don't want to turn from sin. They want you to approve their sin in the church. They want you, the church, to approve their sin. And if you approve their sin, they will come to church. And you will be popular and you'll have big churches. All you have to do is approve their sin. They want freedom to sin. But the real church, those of us who are really Christians... We want freedom from sin. And the scriptures restrain us against sin. They show us what is right and the way to go. They keep us on God's highway. I was born again in 1975. The Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. I said, sins? I thought they were mistakes. I thought they were mistakes. But I didn't disagree with the Spirit of God. It just opened my eyes, and I was born again. I didn't know they were sins. My best friend came to me and said, Joni, you've got to go to church. And I said, okay. So I went to church with my best friend and her husband. They attended a small church in Dallas called Believer's Chapel. The pastors at that church were professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. The main pastor at that time was speaking on a subject about tongues. I had never heard of a tongue. I had no idea what it was. But he was speaking that 
about tongues and doing a whole seminar on the subject of tongues, saying that tongues were of the devil. I didn't care because I didn't know what it was anyway, but that's what he was teaching. I was reading through the New Testament one day, and I came across a verse of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39. The Apostle Paul says, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak in tongues. Forbid not to speak with tongues. Here at the church I'm attending, the pastor is teaching a seminar against tongues, and the Bible says, forbid not to speak with tongues. I've got a conflict. Am I going to go along with the church that I'm attending, where my best friend and her husband go to church? Or am I going to go along with the Bible? And I made a choice at that time to go along with the Bible. One day, my best friend and I were driving down the highway, and I said, Donna, I have found this scripture in the New Testament where Paul said, forbid not to speak with tongues. She pulled off the side of the road and said, let me see that. I had a little tiny Bible in my purse, and I showed her, and she was shocked. And we went to her house where she had several translations of the Bible. We looked that scripture up in every translation. And in every translation it says, In the church forbid not to speak with tongues. And they were not only forbidding you to speak with tongues, they were speaking against tongues. I said to Donna, I'm not going to go back to that church anymore where they're teaching that tongues are of the devil. She said, well, I'm not going to go there either. So we both left that church. I still had never heard anyone speak in tongues, and I was still a little nervous about the subject. I owned a business at that time in American Indian Arts, and one of my customers was a Christian and attended a small prayer group. I, she invited me to go to the prayer group with her. It was just a handful of women, I'd say four or five, and we were sitting around a kitchen table. They were praying for different people. They were praying for things they read about in the newspapers, that a plane crash had killed certain people and the widow was left. They were praying for the widow. They were doing things I would have never thought of doing as far as praying for people. One of them would bring up the subject, and then there was sort of a very quiet murmuring underneath, and then someone would pray. I finally realized what was happening. Those women were praying in tongues before they prayed in English. It terrified me. I, as soon as I could, I fled that prayer group because I had been taught that tongues were of the devil even though I had read the scripture in the Bible and had left this church group. So a wo the woman who invited me said, Joan, don't let this bother you. Well, I was terrified. 
So I came away and prayed. What about this? Then I was led to start studying the New Testament scriptures on the subject. I went to I was going there really to prove tongues were of the devil. But what I ended up proving my, to myself is that this was a valid spiritual thing. And when the Holy Spirit brought tongues, it was valid. And it was to be allowed in the church. Paul said, but you only speak in a tongue if there's an interpreter. I never personally spoke in a tongue at the church. I certainly could speak it in tongues when I prayed at home to myself. But I never did it at the church. But from that point on, I heard a few times at the church tongues and interpretation. I don't have to understand these things. I have to do these things according to the will of God. I have to persuade myself by the Bible and do the things according to the will of God. And I'm fully persuaded that you are not to forbid tongues at the gathering of the church. If someone speaks in a tongue, there has to be an interpretation. That's the only rule that I know of that goes with tongues. I really care about the Bible. I really care about what God thinks about the subject. Not what I think, but what he thinks. Paul said, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. I believe we prove all things by prayer, asking God to give us wisdom and to show us the truth And then we read the Bible on the subject. That's how I prove all things. But Antichrist wants to go against the Bible. Antichrist is the opposite to Scripture. And in the churches, Antichrist will change the Bible to another doctrine. If the Bible says and does say that man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery, Antichrist will explain it away. That's Antichrist. The Antichrist will give you reasons why the man can marry a divorced woman. So by these things I've spoken to you so far today, We should be able to see that Antichrist is working in our churches today, both Catholic and Protestant. There are so many things done in both of them that are opposite to the description of the Bible. So the stage is set for the return of Jesus. Now we get to the end of the world. What happens in the end of the world? Jesus returns. Let's look at that. 
Jesus returns first to raise the dead in Christ. Those people who are Christians and have died and are buried, Jesus comes to raise the dead. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, concerning those who have died, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So Paul is telling us exactly what's going to happen. Jesus will come and take us up into the heavens to the new Jerusalem. We're not going to live on this earth. This earth is going to be destroyed by fire. We'll see that scripture in just a moment. We're going to be removed from this earth. The people who have already died who are Christians will be raised when Jesus returns, taken up into the air. Now, this into the air is very important. They're going to be raised and take, raised from the graves, taken up into the air, not in bodily form. The body has already decayed. The spirit and the soul, which is really us, is going to be raised in another form. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains to us that these bodies are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Those of us who are alive at the time Jesus returns and raises the dead, the living, those who are still alive, are going to be changed into another form. We're not going to take these current fleshly bodies with us. Why? Because in the New Jerusalem, we're going to read about there being no pain, no sorrow, no emotion. That's this old body that causes that. We're going to be put into a new body as God wills. 1 Corinthians 15 brings that out. I may have said 5, but it's 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul talks about this. Anyway, here we are living at this moment. If Jesus returned this moment, the dead in Christ would rise first and they would meet Jesus in the air. We would be changed instantly into another form, another another form. We won't take these bodies. We'll have another form. Our spirits will be raised, and we will meet all of them in the air. Jesus, those people who have been raised from the dead, we who have been taken up from the living, we will all meet in the air. 
And this happens in a blink of an eye to show you what this is like. Blink your eye. That's how fast it happens. We'll be taken off this earth that fast. You're not going to have time to say goodbye to anyone or do anything about your animals or do anything. Blink your eye again. See how fast it'll happen? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. We will all meet in the air. What happens then? In Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John saw the new Jerusalem coming through the air. That's where we're going to be taken. Let's look at that. It's in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. See, we're not going to have these physical bodies. It's these physical bodies and physical emotions that cause pain, sorrow, crying, and death. For the former things are passed away, says John. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That's the new Jerusalem. So you see why we are caught up together with Jesus in the air? Because the great tribulation is going to come upon this present earth after we're removed. And after the great tribulation, this current earth and heaven will be destroyed by fire. Let's look at um, that scripture. If you want to read about what's coming with the great tribulation, it is in Revelation chapters 8 through 16. The great tribulation comes first. It'll be terrible. There's one, there's one thing that happens that I could just vividly imagine one of the a great mountain is burning with fire and it goes into the sea i can just picture some of these great mountains like the one in seattle sliding off into the sea things like that are going to happen terrible famines will happen there's one plague that comes where one third of the day is canceled and it becomes more night. This will create enormous famines. This is all during the Great Tribulation. It gets so bad that men seek death and cannot find it, and yet they won't repent. That's the Great Tribulation. That's in Revelation 
chapter 8 through Revelation chapter 16. Now let's look at what's going to happen to this present heaven and earth because Peter explains it very clearly. Second Peter chapter 3. Let's start at verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this, first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In our view, I'm speaking now not from the Bible, but just with you. In our view, it's been 2,000 years since Peter and John and the first apostles walked on the earth. 2,000 years since the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. But in the eyes of God, if a day is like a thousand years, in the eyes of God, that's only been two days ago. That's the reason that sometimes you'll read in the Bible that Jesus is coming soon, and yet 2,000 years have passed. Because in the sight of God, a thousand years is like one day. Peter goes on to say in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come, as a thief in the night, in, wit, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat nevertheless we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth 
wherein dwelleth righteousness. It's not this current earth where righteousness is going to dwell. It's in the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21. After we're taken out of this earth, the new Jerusalem. 2 Peter 3.14 Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Three things that we are to do every second we live on this earth that remains for us on this present earth. That we live in peace. How can we do this in the midst of all this trouble? We do it through prayer. Prayer connects us to God. That we not be swept away with the world. We settle things through prayer. Saying to God, please help me to forgive that person. Please help me to get over the offense I feel that came from that person. Please help me. Please restore my soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He restoreth my soul. We are constantly working to live in peace as we live on this earth. It takes constant prayer. We live without spot. Instead of following the world, we learn to follow the scriptures and blameless. That's how we live until Jesus returns. Be diligent that ye may be found of him when he returns, that he can find you in a state of peace without spot and blameless. Each one of us work toward that daily. When we are disturbed, we turn to God in prayer, committing the situation to him. When we are offended, we turn to God in prayer. When we are afraid, we turn to God in prayer. When we dread something, we turn to God in prayer, asking him to show us whether to change that appointment or to give us peace about going to it. To change our heart if it needs to be changed. To create in us a clean heart. To renew in us a right spirit. Just as David prayed all those years ago. It is prayer that connects us to God and we keep ourselves by prayer and by doing the scriptures. We agree with the scriptures and that shuts Antichrist out of our lives. According to the Bible, this present heaven and earth will be destroyed by fire. 1 Peter, as chapter, Second uh, Peter chapter three. If you want a listing of all these scriptures, and I certainly hope you want a listing of all these scriptures that I've spoken today. I have listed them for you. 
go to our blog, which is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. You have to put the word exhortations on that because there are several blogs that are called Jesus Ministries. Our blog is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. On the right-hand side of the home page, you will see podcast recordings and scriptures. You can listen to this broadcast again. Underneath that, you are going to see scriptures, podcasts and scriptures. As I have quoted the scripture, you can read each one of the scriptures. I think it is the best teaching tool I've ever seen because you will hear me speak the scripture and you can read the scripture at the same time. And I believe many people will be saved by such things as this because they will come to believe the scripture. God will open the eyes of some of these people who do this He will open the eyes and give you understanding that you can see that the scriptures are true and you can turn from this world and be saved. So go to Jesus Ministries Exhortations, right-hand side, podcast and scriptures. Tap on that. You can hear this recording. You can follow the written word of God as I speak it. And I really think your eyes, some of you, God will open your eyes to the truth. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you today.